Welcome to the Marriage Today podcast. I'm Karen, and this is Jimmy, my husband, and thank you for joining us today. We have a great program. We're talking about overcoming discouragement and depression in the teaching segment Mm -hmm. that's coming up. Talk about a big deal that's going on right now. It's an epidemic in America, and with COVID, many, many people are going through depression and discouragement. So we talk about uh, the teaching is coming up on that. We have a couple of questions here at the beginning. Let me begin by asking you, Karen, whenever... This is from our viewers. Whenever I ask my husband to help around the house, he gets resentful. He is quick to turn the conversation to my shortcomings. How can we work together more? Well, obviously he's a selfish brat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. No. um, This is hard because, first of all, you taught me how to clean. And so the housework issue is not an issue with us. Let me me stop here and say my mother was a cleanaholic. And I never corrected you Mm-mm. for how you clean. No. Uh, and Karen's parents weren't slobs or anything like that, but just they weren't as clean as my family. So you would clean the house, I'd go behind you and clean it again. And not correcting you or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just I just did it, and mm-hmm. that's how you learned to clean. Well, and you had aunts that helped me, too. Your aunts yeah. were... Uh, my family, they're, <laughs> you know, uh, So, you know, it's hard for me to answer this question because I just, I don't think we've ever had that problem. You know, it's like the only time there's ever a problem is when we were first married, and, you know, I, I was like, can you not see the trash is overflowing? Do I have to tell you every time? And it's like. Well, yeah, and I was. <laughs> yeah. but, but here's the point. We're partners. Yeah. Is that, we're, that we, we fit like this in marriage. And so around the house, there are things you can't do. Mm-hmm. You know, you were trying to put the toaster up the other day, and you know, I had to get a ladder, and you know, because I'm tall, and get up and put the toaster up. <laughs> We're always helping each other out. Mm-hmm. You're doing things that I don't do. I do things that you don't do. That's what marriage is. It's a partnership. But when you have, for example, she says, and and women find their husbands most attractive when they're doing housework. This is the, a study that was done mm-hmm. of women. When do you find your husband most most attractive when he's doing housework? And so why? Because he's engaged. Mm. He's coming into my world. He's helping me out. And to her, that's romance, that's security, that's everything that she needs. When you won't help around the house, but and and you won't help around the house, and then you exacerbate that Mm -hmm. by pointing out her shortcomings, it just gets into this standoff. Mm -hmm. And so what I would say um, in there, Karen, is that... um, she should say to him, honey, I, I want you to help me around the house if you would. She should lovingly meet his needs. Mm-hmm. Okay, if, if she can improve, she needs to improve yeah. like you did. You know, God changed me. And she needs to get counseling, someone to help encourage her and get through it. He is selfish. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But but the way to get through it, I don't think, is fighting fire with fire. No. Okay, you okay. get one. My wife tells me I'm controlling all the time, and although I have... I know I have the stronger personality in the relationship. I do not feel that I try to control her in any way. For example, she wants to buy a new car and has gone way over our budget. But if I say I'm not happy about it, she tells me that I am controlling her and not and stopping her from having what she wants. How do I have a say in decisions without coming across as controlling? Well, let me go back to the bedrock of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is Jesus Christ is the Lord of our marriage. Mm-hmm. So you're not, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I was dominant early in our marriage. Okay. I have the stronger personality too. So, but what changed in our marriage is it's not about you getting your way or me getting our way. It's about God getting His way. And we t- tell people, and we have a new resource coming out just in a few days 
uh, vision retreat, uh, marriage vision retreat journey. And that is getting away for three or four days every year and having a vision retreat. See, a budget comes out of a vision. Where, where are we going? How, how are we going to get there? What are our values? This is what happens on a vision retreat. Your budget comes out of that. And if you don't agree on the vision and values of your marriage, the budget's going to be all messed up. And so uh, no, no spouse should control. Uh, based on this question, it doesn't sound like he is controlling. <laughs> it sounds like he's trying to uh, create some balance in the relationship and she resents what he says. They're not a team. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So you need to be a team. You need to have a vision retreat. You need to get together. You need to talk and pray. And your budget should not be something that either one of you is trying to control. It's just something you're trying to find the mind of God mm-hmm. and find out what is God's will for our marriage? What are we trying to accomplish with our marriage? And how then does that affect the different areas? When you do that, no one's vying for control. Yeah. You're both just submitting to God. That's good. Okay. Okay, so we hope that that's helpful to you. Now, we're going to go to this teaching now on discouragement and depression. Huge teaching. And so we hope that this is helpful to you. If you haven't subscribed to the Marriage Day channel, do it on the Apple Podcast Network or on Spotify. Please leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. We're going to go to the teaching right now. This is Isaiah 61. Verse one, the spirit of the Lord God, that means God Jesus, Yahweh Adonai. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Listen to that one now. He is to proclaim liberty to captives, setting people free. The opening of the prison to those who are bound, setting people free. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. This is very specific toward grief and depression. And so it says, when Jesus, the, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, talking about the ministry of Jesus, because I'm anointed to set people free. And I'm anointed to change people from depression to joy. That's what it says. When it says he gives us beauty for ashes, the word beauty means headdress. Party hat is another way to look at it. A beautiful hat of celebration. Ashes, it says beauty for ashes. Some societies still in the world today, but in the Bible times, when people were grieving, they would take like soot, out of a fireplace or out of some place, and they would throw it on themselves and walk around town crying. And they were grieving. The ashes is talking about here was a deep, deep grief, so much so that you threw ashes on yourself. Now listen, listen to the difference that Jesus makes. He takes you from ashes to a party hat. That's what freedom means. All this unbelievable grief, unbelievable joy, the oil of joy for mourning. And the mourning that's talking about here is a constant chronic grief. Not just being sad, but a chronic type of grief that he gives us the oil of joy for. And then it says the garment of praise, like we just did, for a spirit of heaviness, that's depression. When you're depressed, you know it's heavy. There's a physical heaviness. It feels like a dark, wet blanket is laying on top of you, sucking the energy out of you. 
And so Jesus came to set us free from discouragement and depression. And as you know, believers, we can have a little bit of discouragement and things like that. We should never be in the bondage of depression, but it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic within the church. So let me talk to you about the causes and cures of discouragement and depression. Number one is biochemical and health problems. Many, many people who are depressed, they have chemical problems. For example, postpartum depression. Many mothers are here, and you know, when a woman has a child, there are unbelievable chemical changes that happen to her body. And so as her body is adjusting and healing, sometimes women will go into postpartum depression. Some people who are depressed have chemical problems. So it's, it's a good thing if you're depressed to go to the doctor and have a physical and let them do some blood work on you and see maybe if you need a chemical or something like that. Now, I'm a big believer in doctors. I'm a big believer in medical technology. And I believe in medicine that cures and helps. There's a lot of medicine being given today that doesn't cure and it doesn't help. It only masks the problems, especially as it relates to depression. Many people are on antidepressant medications and things like that that shouldn't be. And if you're taking medication, I'm not telling you to get off of your medication. I'm telling you to be a minimalist. Before you put a pill in your mouth, ask yourself the question, do I really have to have this? Number two reason for depression is emotional exhaustion. You know, your emotions, we all know if we go outside and start running, there's only so far I can run, you know, and so then, then I'm going to wear out. The same is true of our emotions. Your emotions are very limited in their capacity, and when your emotions wear out, you get depressed. The clinical definition of depression is anger turned inward. Anger is a very high consumer. The two biggest consumers of our emotions are stress and anger. God didn't design us to live in stress. The number one reason for doctor's office visits is stress-related illness. The number one reason for prescribed drugs is stress-related illnesses. God created us in a place called Eden that was filled with peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When we're living in peace, we flourish. When we live under stress, our bodies fall apart. And so we have to be careful that we, you know, the, the old saying, if the devil can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you too fast. You have to slow down. You have to have a Sabbath. You, you, and so you say, well, look at all the modern conveniences, washers and dryers and microwaves and cars and computers. You know something? Those aren't modern conveniences that help us slow down. We just do more. And what happens is we're stressed out. Our children are stressed out and our bodies fall apart. And the answer is not medication. The answer is slow down. Take your, take your emotions off that treadmill. You weren't designed to live that way. And what happens is, see, preachers, like on Mondays, Mondays is typically not a good day for preachers because we stand up in the pulpit and preach. Preaching is mental and emotional. It's not physical. I'm not physically tired on Monday. I'm emotionally tired. It took me years to figure that out because we tell preachers in conferences don't make any important decisions on Monday because it's not a good day for us, because our emotions, our emotions are saying, ah, we're not getting up today. That's what depression is. You're angry at somebody, it, it puts your emotions on a treadmill, and it's consuming your emotions, and you're mad at somebody, you're on, you have a conflict, and you don't forgive, and you don't resolve it, and it stays in there, and you wake up one day, and your emotion says, we're, we can't do it, we're worn out. There's no more, we just don't have any energy to be happy. We're depressed. And the answer to that isn't medication. The answer to that is forgiveness. Even if somebody else won't make it right, 
I can make it right between me and Jesus. And I can get my emotions off of this treadmill. It's the old saying that forgiveness doesn't make them right, it just makes me free. And if there's one person you're holding a grudge against, and if there's one person that you haven't forgiven, it will affect you emotionally. And if it affects you emotionally, it means it's affecting every relationship in your life, including your relationship with God, because he commands us to forgive. He will never give us an excuse not to forgive. So I'm saying to you, if you have stress and anger, not, not a, a day, it's, it's okay to be angry. Everybody gets angry. God gets angry. Today's anger is fine. You have to process it quickly. Two things cause chronic grief. One is regret. You did something wrong and you don't forgive yourself. God forgives you, but you don't forgive yourself. You're living in the past. You're tethered to a negative experience, a, a failure, a, a bankruptcy, a divorce, an affair, some kind of a failure in your past that caused you a lot of pain, maybe other people pain. You just can't get away from it. The apostle Paul was a murderer. He persecuted Christians for a living. And he said in Philippians, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. You know why he forgot what was lying behind? Because he was forgiven. Abortion, murder, crime. There is nothing on this earth more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. And if God forgives us, we must agree with him and forgive ourselves and receive no condemnation from the devil because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Another thing that causes grief is the loss of loved ones, obviously. And, you know, losing someone important to us, especially when it's untimely. I've done a lot of funerals, too many. And um, too many suicide funerals. And at funerals, there's a sweet grief and there's a sick grief. And at funerals, many, many of the funerals that I do, it's just a sweet grief. You know, that someone died and you know they're with Jesus, but you're, you're not crying for them, you're crying for yourself. And, you know, and, and people are letting God be God. One of the worst things that happens is when someone dies and we ask why, we're not gonna get an answer. We, we don't know. I had a young man in our life group uh, when, before I became pastor, we were life group leaders. I think he was around 25 years old. He had been like an all-star, all-American athlete, but he'd been in a horrible car wreck like when he was in high school or college and he was kind of mangled because of it. But you could tell he had been an awesome athlete. He walked up to his wife one day and he said, I'm about to die. And she said, don't say that to me. And he said, no, Lord, tell me I'm about to die. She said, don't you say that again. Don't say it again. And he got all of his business uh, together and put it on the bed and said to his wife, this is all of our stuff. I just want you to know where everything is when I die. She said, stop saying that. About a week later, he was uh, T-boned in a car accident and died instantly. And I did his funeral. And it was a sad funeral. I mean, like all funerals are, but it was a sweet grief. We, we knew he was with Jesus. You know, when a guy tells you he's gonna die and he dies like that, I, and you say, why did God take him? I don't know. I can't answer that question. But understand this, the Bible says the day of a person's death is better than the day of a person's birth. And precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. When we're saying goodbye, God is saying hello. Every believer is better off when they die. And all children go to heaven, by the way. 
All children are in heaven. I don't know why he died, but the next week, someone called me, or it was shortly thereafter, someone called me and said, Jimmy, my uh, friend committed suicide. Would you do the funeral? I said, what happened? He said he killed himself. And I said, well, I'm very sorry to hear that. And so I went and I did the funeral. It was horrible. It was a horrible funeral. They were not believers. He had an ex-wife and a wife and a mother, and they were all fighting during the funeral, literally during the funeral. And the funeral home guy came up to me and said, uh, Mr. Evans, you've got, to, you've got to take care of this fight here. You're, you're doing this funeral. And I thought, well, that's your job, you know. You they were yelling at each other and fighting. And when they went up to the casket, they were pushing each other. And the mother jumped in and grabbed the body. So the other ones couldn't at the graveside. The same thing was happening. It was not a sweet grief. It was a sick grief. Let me just say, when someone dies, let God be God. And someone asked me about suicide, and it's, it's horrible. And they asked me about suicide, are they in heaven? I said, I don't know. I don't know. And the worst thing about that kind of death is it, you, the grief, the, all the things that happen. But I say this to everyone. When someone dies, their eternity is in the hands of a loving God. Grief stays until it resolves. And the only way to resolve is stop asking why and trust God. We don't know. We don't know why people die, especially when they die young. We don't know. But we have the greatest God in the universe, and he's a God of love and mercy. Jennifer Crow is a friend of mine in Oklahoma City, and Jennifer wrote a book called Perfect Lies. Jennifer was deathly, deathly ill and physically sick, in bed, deeply depressed. And she began to meditate on the Bible like I was talking to you about last week. And she realized as she began to meditate on the scripture, remember Hebrews 4, the word of God is quick and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. No creature can hide from it, and it divides between the thoughts and intents of the heart. As she began to read the word and the word got in her, she realized there were nine lies in her mind that were causing her, that had led to her depression illness. Here are the nine lies that she uncovered and replaced with the truth of the word of God. I am unlovable. These things just happened as she was growing up and experiencing things. I am unlovable. I am worthless. I am unacceptable. I am unable. I am a target. I am not angry. I am bad. I am in danger. I am deprived. And I've said to you before, the worst thing about pain is not pain, it's the message in the pain. It's the message in the pain because the devil is the hurt whisperer. When you're going through something difficult, he's always there at every funeral, at every tragedy, at every failure. He's always there. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. You've done too much to be forgiven. And he doesn't tell us it's him. We think it's us because he slithers in. He's stealthy. He slithers in. He whispers his lies and they lodge. And they change the way we think and they change the way we feel and they give him an entrance to a spirit of heaviness. And Jennifer's laying sick as she can possibly be deeply depressed. If you saw Jennifer Crow right now, she is one of the healthiest, most dynamic women because Jesus set her free. Amen. If you abide in my word, 
If you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. She lived in the word of God. She meditated on it and the word of God exposed the lies the enemy had told her about herself. Those lies were replaced with the word of God and she got up and she's not been depressed a day since. Our thoughts. Number five, finally, this is the last one. Demonic spirits. It says in Isaiah 61, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit, the demon spirit of depression, the demon spirit of heaviness. Not everything's caused by demons, but some things are. And whenever it's demonic, and this, what this means is something happened, and maybe there's a thought there, but demons, now there's a demonic entrenchment to this. So I've, I've been depressed one time, and I wanted to die. Uh, I wasn't going to kill myself, but I sure wanted the Lord to kill me. And I pastored for many years, many thousands of people. People are precious. There are a few people that aren't quite so precious. And one that was evil, truly evil, pure evil. And um, in the process of pastoring that individual, they did me a lot of damage. And it wasn't just them. You can tell a person's spirit because it's what's with you when they're not. And you think about some people and you know there's a happiness or a affection that you have. And this particular individual, I've never had anything evil in my home, but when I began to have conflict with them because they were trying to run the church and I wasn't gonna let them. And I, when I mean run, I mean dominate every aspect. The, when I began to have confrontation with this person, there was an evil presence in our home. There's never been an evil presence in our home. And when I lay down in bed at night, it was like a 300-pound refrigerator was laying on my chest, sucking the life out of me. And this happened, went on for weeks. And um, I woke up one morning, and I was at my office at home, and I was, I was deeply depressed. In fact, the thought of another day of ministry made me sick. I wanted out. I wanted out thin. And I begged God to kill me that day. I said, Lord, take me. I'm ready. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to ever do this again. And the Lord said, you will fight or you will perish. And I thought, that's cold, Lord. That's really cold. I need a little shout out right now. I need a little help. I don't need to be scolded. I was fighting a, a Jezebel spirit. A demon spirit. And it was about to kill me. Elijah defeated 450 prophets of Baal, but when he came against Jezebel, he wanted to die. I wanted to die. But the Lord told me to start fighting, so I started fighting. I didn't feel like it, didn't want to. I was depressed. But I said, you demon spirit, I bind you in the name of Jesus. It didn't happen immediately. It took about four or five days. But four or five days later, I could feel the spirit lift off of me. And I'm saying this, when demon spirits show up and tell us to kill others or kill ourselves and try to put depression on us, we have to stand up and fight in the name of Jesus. God, God will not do for us what he has given us the ability to do for ourselves. And we are not infants and we are not helpless pawns on the sea of faith. We are the army of the living God and we have been given the authority of Jesus Christ and every demon has to flee when we tell them to. We have the authority. The second thing we do is ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. He gives us the oil of joy for mourning, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. 
Joy is supernatural. Happiness depends on circumstances. Happiness depends on happenings. You say, are you happy? Well, you may be happy right now and unhappy five minutes from now. Joy is trans-circumstantial. You can have joy when you're going through difficulty because joy is an abiding sense of goodness and goodwill that the Lord puts in us that's trans-circumstantial. I can be going through great difficulty, but I have joy. You know people. I'm, there, there are people that I have pastored in this church for 35 years. I'm telling you, they've been to hell and back and they've never lost their joy because the Holy Spirit gives us supernatural joy that transcends circumstances and what's going on. The number three thing is this, and I'm finished. Open your mouth and praise God. It says, God has given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The reason it calls it a garment is because you have to put it on. There are two things the Bible tells us to put on, humility and praise. When you wake up, we're naturally proud. That's our flesh. We're naturally proud. So I have to make a decision regularly. I'm going to put on humility. Pride is natural for me, but I'm going to put on humility. I'm also going to put on praise because it's natural for us to be negative. It's natural for us to grumble and gripe and do things like that. When you agree with depression, it gets worse. See, depression has an entire dialogue of talking about life and talking about people and how bad things are and they're not gonna get any better and blah, blah, blah and gloom and doom. Have you ever, by the way, have you ever just talked yourself into being sad? You, you can just talk for a while and you kind of feel a heaviness from your own mouth. You, did you know you can also talk yourself happy? By saying something positive rather than saying something negative. This is Psalm 149. Listen to this. It prays as spiritual warfare. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nation and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains. It's talking about demon spirits. And their nobles with fetters of iron. To ex execute on them the judgment written, this honor have all the saints. I want to tell you what praise does to the devil. The Bible says in Psalms that God inhabits the praises of his people. You understand when you're praising, you're building a throne for God and you're invoking the presence of God, did you know that the devil cannot minister in the presence of God? So what the devil wants you to be is negative and grumbling and cynical because that builds him a throne. And he's gonna use that throne to crush you, to beat you down, to tell you lies, and to oppress you with the spirit of heaviness. Let the saints be joyful in glory. That's a command. Let the saints be joyful. Make a decision right now. I'm going to be joyful, and I'm going to train my mouth to be joyful. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to deny reality. But what it means is, as long as there's a God in heaven, there's always a reason to praise God. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.